0: If you'd open in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Okay, Genesis chapter 1, that'll be our text for tonight. Um, so glad to see you guys here. Um, for those of you guys who weren't here last week, um, real quick, I want to introduce you to Suzanne Goddard right here. Suzanne, can you just wave your hand? Suzanne is um, our new assistant director here at ECF, so she works here now, and so looking forward to you guys getting to know her. Um, and uh, anyway, I'm excited for you guys to be here. Thanks for being here so much. Um, Last week we kind of kicked off introducing our series for the the spring semester. And we're going to be kind of looking at the big picture story of scripture. Okay, how scripture moves from creation to fall to the story of Israel um, to Jesus and to the church. And then maybe the last paragraph of the chapter on the church, if you will, would be Jesus' return and new creation. So we kind of introduced that last week. We're going to be kind of charting sort of this grand story of scripture this semester. I'm really excited about it. And we begin tonight with creation. Um, Every story has a setting, okay? Like, think about a story or a movie or a play you really like. Um, It starts off with a particular situation. Um, Things are happening, something is is kind of in the air, something's going on that kind of sets the stage for the story. And uh, in the biblical story, what we're looking at tonight, Genesis 1, does that. Um, So we're going to read Genesis 1 together. It's a really long passage, so I've asked um, a few people to come up and Um, Suzanne put together a way that we could read this out loud so you guys can kind of hear the points of emphasis in this story. I know you've heard it so many times before. I want to encourage you to kind of hear it from maybe in a fresh way um, tonight so you guys can come on up and read for us.
1: In the beginning, God created the heavens.
2: and the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he
1: called sea, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth.
3: And was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the third day.
1: And God said, Let there be light in the expanse of the heavens, to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons,
3: The Sixth day.
1: Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts were.
3: Finished. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done.
1: So God blessed the seventh
0: day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask that now that, um, you would speak to us, Lord. Your word is obviously a powerful thing that has the ability to, to create. Um, Lord, so we pray that now that your word would create in us, Lord, that it would remake us and shape us. Um, Lord, that you'd be our teacher, Lord, by the power of your spirit. Lord, in your kindness and in your grace and mercy, would you take these words and make them your words for us and to us tonight. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So there's a lot happening in this passage. Um, I know I say that like every time, but it's really true this time. There's so much going on in this creation story. Not that that's not true the other times, but you know. Um, there's it, just so much going on. I mean, what, what was just read lays the foundation for everything that's in the Bible. And I wasn't really sure to how, you know, how to even go about unpacking sort of what's going on in this story. Um, I wasn't sure what to do. So here's what I decided to do, okay? i um, Basically, I'm going to give you guys five sort of bedrock foundational theological ideas and observations that are kind of, um, I think, presented in this text. And for each of those theological ideas, I'm going to give you a, kind of like a so what. Like, So what does that mean for us? What does that look like in our lives? Sort of what does this have to do with us? Um, I try to think of seven things, but, because that would be like a biblical number, but I can only make five work. so that's what we got. Um, sorry for the less than stellar organization here. Um, before I give you the five, I want to just real quickly talk about, like, what is this story? Okay? And maybe even saying story is the wrong way to say it, because it's not like a narrative. It's not a story. The, the, the creation story is a poetic kind of thing, and I hope you heard that when it was read. Certain things repeat themselves kind of over and over. I, I don't know if you guys picked up on that. I wrote I wrote some of these things down. Um, just the poetry and the artistry of how this how this uh, this account we just read kind of comes together? Just just give you just give you some a couple things. The word God said, okay, that's, that's that's or that phrase God said is, is said ten times. Okay, ten in the Bible is a number of completion. There's ten commandments, for example. Um, the, the words it was so, okay, that's repeated seven times. And again, a number of completion. Um, the phrase God made seven times. It was good. If you were listening, you would have heard that said seven times. Um, the idea of, God, of God, God naming the thing and then blessing the thing, that happens seven times. Um, in, the, in the section of chapter two, verses one through three, when it kind of brings the whole account to this grand completion, okay, if, you, if you count the words in the original text, okay, there's thirty-five words. Okay, it's divisible by seven. Um, the, first, the first two clauses have seven words each. The last two clauses have seven words each. And then the clause in the middle um, contains the word seven in it. Um, it, it. In other words, this has been put together to kind of just be this poetic, artistic kind of picture of what God has done to create the world. And, and I say that just to say that the creation story doesn't always give us maybe the kind of information that maybe we would want from it, Okay? A lot of you guys maybe have grown up in in a tradition where this story is kind of tried, you know, it's used to try to glean some kind of scientific, maybe historic data um, about the creation of the world. And I've even heard it it used to explain maybe how old the earth is and and things like that. And, And I'm not saying that that's not there. I'm not saying that you can't glean scientific things from this account. What I'm trying to say is that that's not the purpose of it, okay? The purpose of this is to is to present this kind of grand theological kind of picture of God. Um, so it's not going to give us the sort of history and scientific data that maybe we would we would like. I mean, um, you know, you're not going to read this and say, "Okay, so is it a literal 24 hour days or is it not?" I mean, the thing about it is is that the Bible didn't, doesn't anticipate that question. It, it that's not on the Bible's radar screen that later, thousands of years, there'd be sort of a debate about that. Does that make sense? I'm not saying this, this text doesn't give us scientific stuff. What I'm saying is that's not the primary purpose of it. Okay, so I think we have to be pretty gracious in how we understand all this and how we understand the time frame and how this works. Um, so I just want to kind of throw that out there to you. If you guys have questions about that and, and even my views of that sort of thing, I'd be more than happy to just chat with you about that anytime. time. Um, the point being, this is telling us something big and grand about God. Okay, you with me so far? Does that, does that make sense? Okay. Okay, five kind of bedrock sort of theological ideas, foundational ideas from this story. Okay, first one God is the central character in Scripture. Um, God is the central character in Scripture. In the beginning, God. Um, those, those four words alone could occupy the rest of our night. God has always been. Um, he's always existed. He stands first and he stands primary over all things. Um, there's never a time in which God was not. Um, the Bible tells us God is the first and the last. He's just always been. Um, God is the primary character in Scripture. Um, so, uh, so what? Now, now that little moment of application from that theological idea. Um, the world, the universe, the story, the Bible is not about us. Um, not primarily about us. Now, we're written into the story in a beautiful way. Like, God has allowed us to be objects of His love and His grace. So, we're beneficiaries of this great, glorious God. Um, you know, we're objects in the biblical story, but we're not the main subject. We're not the main character of the biblical story. Um, a good, grand, big, glorious God stands at the center of the universe. That's what everything's all about. So, life. At its core, is not about us. Um, that, that really changes things in our lives, right? When it's not about us. I hope it frees you to realize it's not about you. The world's bigger than you. You've been written into a story much grander than you. Um, that's good news. Um, the Bible's not about us. Um, primarily, it's about God, primarily. Um, second kind of theological idea from this text. Okay? God's Word is powerful. Okay, God's word is powerful. And I hope you noticed that it, as it was read, that phrase that kept repeating, and God said, in the blank, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. Um, the rhythm of that passage is just, God speaks, something happens, and then he, he pronounces that, he approves of what has just happened. Um, when God speaks stuff Happens, Okay, there's an inherent creative power in the Word of God. Um, God's Word has this explosive potential to make something happen, like by itself. Um, The idea surfaces all over Scripture throughout the rest of the story. Like, I'll just give you one example in the Prophets. um, This this phrase will be repeated in the Prophets all the time. It says, thus saith the Lord, and then the Lord will say something. Um, For the Lord to say something is the same as Him to do something. His Word is that. Powerful. Um, a, a lot of times in the prophets, a promise will be made, and it yes, leaves you saying, "Well, how do we know that's going to happen?" And then there's a line that, kind of a formulate line, will say, "The mouth of the Lord has spoken this." I mean, for God to say something is, is like for God to do something. I mean, His word has a powerful effect. And, and, and on this note, I want you to consider like a really interesting idea here. Okay, the creation account. You all know, got to follow me here. Okay, the creation account occurs at the beginning of our Bible. Obviously. Um, the first five books of our Bible is the books of the law. The books that are intended to be instruction for the people of God. Um, And and our our tradition tells us that Moses is the authority behind the book of Genesis. Um, So the book of Genesis would have been given to the people of Israel um, during the time of Moses. During the time when Moses had led the nation of Israel out of, of Egypt when the nation was, was learning what it meant to be God's people and how to obey Him and to fear Him and to serve Him. And that's the situation into which the book of Genesis would have been like given to the people of God. Um, which is really, really interesting, because because if you think of it that way, the creation account calls God's people to obedience. Okay? And, and here's how. Um, the, the idea here being the only reason anything exists is because it obeyed God's word. So, O oh, people of Israel, you need to obey God's word too. Trees are trees because God told them to be, and they, they obeyed, they responded. Okay? Um, the sea is the sea because God called it to be that, and it did. You know, the, the creation account almost serves as a teaching tool for the people of Israel that, that obeying God is very, very centrally important to the foundation of the universe. Does that make sense? Um, the creation account calls, calls us to obedience, so that's kind of the, the application of that. Um, obey God. Obey His powerful Word. Submit to His Word. Um, see, to disobey God is as foolish as the sun like deciding not to rise. Like, to disobey God is to kick against the very fabric and, and nature of the universe itself. Like Disobedience to God makes no sense whatsoever. When there's a God whose Word is so powerful that He can make things into being, um, for us to disobey him and to disregard his word is kind of really stupid, right? Okay, so God's is the central character of scripture. God's word is powerful. And here's the third thing. God is sovereign. And he's in control. And he's good. God is sovereign. Um, this means that he exercises sort of this kingly Rule over the things he's made. He's in control. The world is not spinning out of his control, and God's in control, and God's good. Um, as mentioned, kind of a little bit earlier, the poetic structure of Genesis and, and the way that this account is told to us, um, it shows that God is very careful, okay, and He's very orderly, and He's very intentional, and, he's, and He plans what He does. I mean, if you, you saw it all throughout. Throughout the text, um, God does things in total control and with total care and attention. And again, this would matter, okay, when you think about when the people of God would have gotten a book like Genesis. Um, The people of God leaving Egypt, entering into a pagan land. um, And and these pagan lands, they they had their own stories for how the world was made and created. Um, This week, as I prepared for this, I got to read some of these Um, You can read these uh, Canaanite myths of creation, or you can read these Babylonian myths of creation. And they're really kind of, I was going to say fascinating to read, because they are, but they're kind of gross and and bloody and violent. Um, And and, and see, all these other surrounding nations had their story for how this thing came into being. And Israel would have been walking into those lands with their own story of their God, and how he made things to be. For example, um, in some of these other stories that I got to read this week, like gods fight each other, and some cosmic battle occurs, and and maybe one god um, kills another god, so then this other god comes because he's mad because this goddess got killed, and um, there's one story I read where the goddess's belly's ripped open and and this other god slings her, her, I'm not kidding here, guts into the air and that becomes the stars and human beings sort of just accidentally come out of that to be slaves to these gods. And, and, and that's a crazy one, but then there's there's others about sort of the sexual unions between gods and that cause rivalry and jealousy and sort of just out of chaos and and violence and, and despair and wrong the world was made. And do you see the distinction between this story? Um In this story, and whereas the other stories were born out of this kind of like violence and instability and destruction and all this, in in this story, God's carefully, and he's intentionally making his world, and he's in control of what's happening. Um, One other example, and one story I read, the sea monsters. Okay, the sea monsters come up, the monsters of these, scary monsters of chaos come up and participate in the making of the world. But, But look at verse 21 of our text. Look at Verse 21. So God created the great sea monsters or the great sea creatures. I mean, so all the deities that the other nations worship the sun, the moon, the sea creatures, Israel made the claim that guess what? Our God made those. I mean, it's a bold claim. You worship the sun, the moon, the stars, the sea creatures. Our God made those. So kind of what's up now kind of thing. I mean that's kind of like the that's kind of the tone. It's kind of a it's kind of a uh, bold claim, okay? Um, but this idea of God being sovereign and being in control, you guys have heard me say this before. Calvin was really famous for saying, this would be of no comfort to us if God wasn't at the same time good. Okay? God's sovereign and in control, but he's also really, really good. I hope you hear that in this account. I mean, he's good. He, he makes his world. And he calls it good. And he, he encourages His creation to be blessed and to flourish. I mean, look, look at verse 11, okay, verse 22, verse 28. They all bring this out. God blesses. He extends His blessing. He's good. I mean, He's kind. Um, God's made this world and He will see it through. He'll see it through to its end. He's doing something in the world. He's up to something. He's got a plan with what He's doing. Um, so, so chaos and violence and brutality... I mean, even though that looks on the outward appearance that that's the center of our world, it's really not. Um, a good, gracious God is, stands at the center and at the very foundation of our world. Um, and, and, and God makes this world good. I hope, I hope you heard this. This good God makes the world good. He keeps saying, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and it was very good. Um, the world, okay, the material is not bad. Um, it's, it's, it's good. Now it's totally broken. Our world's completely broken. And, and it won't be fully repaired until Jesus arrives on the scene again. That's a spoiler alert to the story of the Bible. That's gonna, something like that's going to happen at the end. But, but it won't be fully repaired in, until Jesus returns fully. But the world's good, and God promises not He's not going to scrap this world entirely, but He's going to remake it and renew it, a new heavens and a new earth. So so God is sovereign. He's in control. He's good. And and here's sort of the application of that, okay? The the so what for us. Um, Chaos and confusion, like I said earlier, are not the foundations of reality. Um, And you guys in this room, man, you might be going through some difficult stuff. You guys are in stressful, hard seasons of your life. But you can trust a God who's in control, who has a plan. But more than in control, a good God who loves you who cares for you, who's moving his world in a particular direction, and he cares for the world that he's made, despite what it might look like from the outside. This is, this, is, this is good news. Our God rules his world that he's made. Um, and, and by the way, it's a good world. We should take care of it. Um, that's why it's okay and it's right for Christians to, to participate in conservation efforts and things like that, because we've been given stewardship over this world. Man, mankind was created, and, and you heard it, and he was given dominion and stewardship over this world. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. The world's good. We should take care of it, steward it. We should, we should trust this good God. Number four. Okay. Theological idea number four. People matter to God. The creation of, of mankind is the climax of the story. Um, Chapter 2 of Genesis um, kind of zooms in on that sixth day of creation, the day when when God created um, male and female. And it's more of an expanded tale. Chapter 2 is kind of more of an expanded tale of what happens in that sixth day. But I want you to look at verse 26. Um, So God created man, or I'm sorry, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It's the climax of creation. God creates man and woman in his image. And, and this is a really mysterious idea. Um, I spent a lot of time this week just trying to think about, what does that mean, they're created in God's image? Um, and, and it means it means a lot of mysterious things, but, but there's something in us that's that's that corresponds to God somehow, that, that we, we bear some resemblance to, to His character and His nature. Um, it's, it's hard to know what that means because sin has so broken and, and distorted that. But but we still bear His image. Um, we're somehow, being His image, we're somehow supposed to be reflections of Him. We're supposed to show Him forth to the world. We're supposed to literally like image Him, show people pictures of of what He's like. I mean, this glorious God... Um, should, should kind of shine forth out of our lives so people can kind of see this God. Um, and it's interesting, in chapter 2, um, all, everything else, you know, it just kind of gives us a picture of God spoke and these things existed. In chapter 2, it says that God actually fashioned and formed and crafted man. It uses a different word. He, he crafts and forms man, whereas he spoke everything else in existence, he actually kind of got his hands dirty. And got involved in, in sort of the tender craftsman kind of way with people, um, literally. And he he takes the dust and he breathes life into them. And, and the word man in the in the Hebrew Bible actually means like the little the dusty one. Um, so we're just dusty ones, you know. We're these people that he's taken and he's breathed into and he's given us life and he and he cares for us. Um, and we're told in chapter two that man was alone, so God made a companion, a helper for him, um, the woman. Now now before we think that that. A woman being a helper to a man is somehow belittling to to the woman. The word there for helper, and that's that's a word that's really only used for something God does for the rest of the Bible. It's the idea that, that God has provided something that that a per, that a person can never provide for themselves, and and that's what, what the woman is. It just gives us something like in our world that we'd never be able to kind of do on our own. Or, or like I'm looking for some amens from the boys in the room. I mean, women provide a precious. A precious part of the image of God. Um, so this isn't belittling to women, okay? This is highly complimenting women. women men, mankind was not complete in imaging God until woman was, was there. Um, and, and look again in verses 26 and 27. Um, he, he creates these people. He gives them, he gives them dominion. Um, he gives them a job to do. Um, he gives them work. They have a job. Work's not bad. Work's good. Um, okay, so so applications. People matter to God. Um, application to that. Well, the, so what of that? Well, people matter to God. Um, people bear the image of God. They have worth and they have dignity inherently because of that. People who frustrate you, made an image of God. Family members you don't get along with, guess what? Sorry, but they were made in the image of God. Um, People from other races, other ethnicities matter. They're valuable to you and to me because they were made in the image of God. Um, So they deserve our love and our service and our respect. Um, Calvin was famous for saying that there's a sense of the divine in every person. There's something in us that somehow bears this this memory of God. It's ever so faint. Um, And that's why Augustine said that our hearts are restless until we find rest in God. Because we, we were made for him. Um, so yes, people are sinful. Yes, they're sick and they're dead because of sin. The rest of the Bible will tell us, um, but it hasn't always been that way. Um, people were at one time in perfect harmony with their Creator, um, and the rest of the biblical story is going to try to get us back to this moment. And, and, and just another little word of application: work. Work is good. Like it's okay to pursue work in various fields in, in our culture. Um, this, this theologian named Abraham Kuyper that I really like a lot was famous for saying that there's not one square inch over the entire universe over which Christ does not say, like, mine. So the kingship of Jesus extends over everything. So that means if you are, like, in biology, Christ is king over biology, and you can work in that field to the glory of God as a way to kind of exercise the glory of God and to make that sphere a place where God is, is king and honored and glorified. Like, there's nothing secular anymore. Does that make sense? Like, I'm a minister, okay? I do ministry work, okay? But, but there's really no such thing as something that's, that's specially, like spiritual versus something that's, that's, that's secular when it comes to, to, to God. Um, I mean, everything has this ability to be used, to be, to be crafted, to be shaped, to be worked on in a way that honors and glorifies God. So if you're like a business major, like, rock it out, you know? Because God's king over that in um, whatever it is that you, that you are don't think that you're on God's B team because you don't think you're called to ministry Okay, now, if, you're called, if you're called to ministry I encourage you in that I'd love to talk to you about it but, 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 but every square inch of the universe belongs to God work is good it's good for people to figure things out and to make things and to buy things and to sell things and, and to trade things Like it's all part of God's good world um, okay last one fifth idea kind of a final one God is the creator. I mean, God's also the redeemer. Um, The Hebrew word here for create is is a word that's only used of God in all the scriptures. Only God can do this. Only God can create and make things so fresh and so new. But I want to show you something really interesting. So God's creator, but he's also redeemer. We already see God's redeeming work in this passage. Okay, I want you to look at verse 2 and kind of throw out an interesting idea to you. Okay, verse 2 not sure if you've ever noticed this before, but verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And verse 2 says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Okay, these words, without form and void, okay, these are very rare words in the Old Testament. Um, they, they surface really, I think, in just two other places. And, and, it's, and in those texts, it's talking about the world not being as it should be. And it, and it mentions that God did not make a, a void. Waste world. Um, So, so a lot of scholars would say that between okay, this this gets really like heavy really quick. So, just I'm going to try to just keep it. You know, Um, a lot of scholars say that maybe between verses one and verse two, maybe that's when Satan maybe rebelled against God. Okay? Because verse 2 sets up the stage in like a bad situation. Does that make sense? There's formlessness. There's void. There's emptiness. And darkness. Okay? Throughout the Bible, darkness is a picture of, of things not the way they ought to be. Of, of evil. Almost entirely in the Bible, darkness is a picture of evil. Um, but see, the Spirit of God is already there hovering over the face of the waters. This word hovering is used in another another area of Scripture. Of like an eagle flapping over a nest. Like... like the Spirit of God's literally already taken that chaos and that darkness, and He's kind of going right after it from the very beginning of the creation story. He's taking things that are chaotic and waste and void. I don't know how all that works, but He begins shaping. So so even His first acts of creation are acts of recreation, of redemption. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Um, that's something we can talk about more You know, in the coming weeks if you guys have, have some questions on that. I don't, I don't really... I don't really know what to make of it entirely, but we already see God going after the darkness. Um, already seeing God engaging the chaos. Um, we, we already see God's Spirit at work renewing and bringing redemption. Um, and, and just to kind of give you a little bit of how this unpacks itself. Um, the first three days of creation okay, kind of deal with this idea of, of the formlessness. God begins to give Form to the world, he, he creates a, a um, light and a dark. He creates a, a sea and a sky. He creates an earth and, and sort of a fertile earth with vegetation. So the first three days kind of attack the problem of formlessness, okay? And then the next three days of creation kind of attack the problem of emptiness. Okay, he begins filling. Day four, he, he puts the sun and the moon in that sky and in that light and in that dark. In day five, he puts the birds in the in the. Creatures of the sea, you know, in the sky and in the sea. On day six, he creates land animals and people to, to sort of fill up the earth. Um, so we already see God, and, and just, just, just like take that bottom line kind of thing away from that. We already see God entering into chaos and mess and bringing goodness and blessing. And, and even in the second verse of the Bible, he's already acting as creator, but also as redeemer. And this is kind of the, the, the so what of that. Um, throughout the Bible, God is also um, the, the recreator of his people. And this is particularly good news for us. Um, throughout the history of Israel, God's people will fail him and he'll remake them. Um, we'll get into this in the coming weeks, but God's people sin and rebel against him. But he, he comes again after a flood. Um, and he begins to renew his people, and he, and he gives grace, um, and again, again, they, they go and they rebel against them, they build a tower in order to just k- kind of say, "God forget you." And, and God again reshapes his people and he calls a guy named Abram, and he begins to make a nation from them when they 're caught in, in, in Egypt in slavery and in oppression, um, he comes. And he begins to, to remake them and to call them out of slavery, to make them into a people. His people will... And now it's like major spoiler alert of the story of the scripture, by the way. Um, he, he, his people fail him over and over, and he has to kind of unmake them through the exile. But in his grace, he remakes them again and brings them out of the exile. And Jesus shows up on the scene. In the Gospel of John, we read it to start our night tonight. Um... The Word becomes flesh. Um, He dwells among us and we see Jesus having power and sway over creation. He can calm a storm. He can make water into wine. Um, He exercises this creative power. He he goes after the forces of darkness and begins to remake the people of God. Um, In other places in Scripture we're told that when God speaks his word of salvation into our lives, that we become reborn and remade. Um, In the end, at the end of the biblical story, he's going to make all things new and get rid of darkness and and night entirely. And and this is maybe the main thing I want you to hear of the whole night. Um, And this is the point of application from God as as creator and God as redeemer. Um, If God can reach into this miry mess of of verse 2, um, he can sure reach into the miry mess of your life and your situation and your pain and your brokenness and he can remake you too. Um, he's a creator, but he's also a recreator, and um, This is really, really good news. It, it happens um, to be all our hope, by the way. Um, that God would reach and remake us in our lives in his grace and in his mercy. So that's the setting of the story. Um, a really good, gracious powerful, sovereign, in control, good God who loves people and, and blesses them and gives them a job to do and they live in perfect harmony with the creation, with themselves and and, and with this God. Um, so everything's perfect, um, but it's not going to stay that way and we'll get into that next week. You guys pray with me. Lord, there is just way, way, way much in here. And I just pray that you would help us see your glory in this text, Lord. Um, Hope we see your power in this text, God. I hope we see your sovereignty, your control um, in this text, Lord. But we also pray that we'd see your love and your sweetness, Lord, your blessing in this passage, God. God, if you can speak a world into existence, you can certainly speak into our lives and change and shape and renew us. Lord, um, we know that there might be places in our lives where we need your creative power, Lord, that we need your recreative power. So, Lord, we do pray that you enter into those spaces, Lord, that you would speak into them. God, that you begin separating light from dark. Um, Lord, we pray that you would... Just impress us with the whole scope of who you are. I pray that that would shape us and that would change us. We thank you for your grandness, your gloriousness, your your power, your strength. Lord, may we just come to know that in a fresh way this semester. We pray this in the name of Jesus.